Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to think about someone specific, but hold on. Uh, I don't want you to think about just anyone. I want you to think about that person in your life who, if you had to introduce them to a friend or family member, you would have no idea where to start. You know who I'm talking about, right? Like, maybe they're just a remarkably complex person. Maybe they uh, just have a remarkably complex past. Maybe they're a person who's wrapped up in a culture that's unfamiliar to most other people in your circle. There could be a variety of reasons. Uh, But if you were to bring that person home and someone asked you, so tell me about your friend, you wouldn't have the slightest idea where to start. You know that person, right? That's kind of how I feel about Jacob in the book of Genesis. We're in the second to last sermon in our Genesis series, and that means that we're talking about Jacob. Uh, But where in the world to start with Jacob? Uh, This is a guy who was a twin and came out holding on to his brother's heel. He tricked his dad and his brother out of greed. His mom favored him. He wrestled with God. He was apparently a really good shepherd. Uh, He had a ton of kids. Oh, and he played favorites with those kids too. This is a complex guy. This is a guy who made a lot of mistakes and did some things right too. So we're gonna pick up in this series, still in the book of Genesis, but we're gonna start today in chapter 22 and we're gonna flip around a little bit. But in Genesis chapter 32, I might've said 22, in Genesis 32, verse 22, it says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. All right, well, I told you he's complex, right? Here we are, first verse, two wives, two female servants, 11 sons, and they're crossing a ford. Okay, yeah, clearly this guy has lived some kind of life, but but let's backtrack a little bit. I wanna rewind and unpack some of the story that led to this moment. So. Remember before that I said Jacob had tricked his father and brother, right? Yeah, so he tricked his brother into giving him his birthright. And then when it was time for their father to bless his brother Esau, Jacob dresses up like Esau because their dad can't see well, and he gets the blessing too. He took Esau's blessing and his birthright. This is a fun guy already. How many of you are siblings? See, I have one younger brother, and that means that sometimes I actually kind of feel for Esau. Like, you don't want your younger brother to fail, but your younger sibling succeeding beyond you at your expense? What a mess. 
What a mess. And, and Jacob knew that too. So Jacob took off running. By the time we pick up here in Genesis chapter 32, he's actually been on the run for a really long time. Uh, and, and it's actually kind of a funny story. Jacob is on the run from Esau, his brother, and runs into this guy named Laban. And this is actually really convenient because Laban is his uncle. And the short version of that story is that Laban ends up tricking Jacob to get 14 years of work out of him instead of the agreed upon seven. Hey, that's what Jacob gets, right? But then Jacob tricks Laban and steals from him. And now he's on the run again. This guy sure knows how to live, I guess. Always on the run and somehow from his own family. Every time it seems like. Well, now he's on the run again. And, and Laban catches up. He catches them. He catches Jacob and his two wives and his 11 sons. And I'll give you the short version again, but uh, let, me read, let me read to you one specific passage. One part of this passage where Laban catches up. Laban's caught Jacob and wants to know why he ran from him. So in Genesis 31, so we're going back a chapter. In Genesis 31, 31, Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. Yeah, he's married to his cousins. Um, it's weird, but it wasn't like that back then. You'll just have to take my word for that one. Uh, but I want you to get this. Jacob ran because he was afraid. That's flat out what he says right here. He ran because he was afraid. And, and of course he was. He messed up. And he was concerned that Laban would exact revenge on him. When you take advantage of people constantly, then you constantly have to live in fear. You have to live in fear of what the repercussions of your actions might look like. From there, Laban and Jacob actually go through a period of reconciliation. I, I know a lot of you are, are grandparents, and, and that will help you understand this, right? Remember, at the start, we read that Jacob had 11 sons. I don't even have enough fingers to show you how many kids he had. Well, all of those sons were Jacob's grandchildren. Or Laban's grandchildren. I, I'm not a grandparent yet, but I've seen enough to know that when your bonehead kids or their bonehead spouses make bad decisions, grandma and grandpa don't take it out on their grandchildren. That's just the way it is. In fact, I'm starting to notice that even when the grandkids make bonehead mistakes, the grandparents don't take it out on the grandkids. But I suppose that's neither here nor there. Uh, that's just the nature of grandparents. And so, of course, Laban still loved his grandkids. He didn't want to lose a relationship with them. At the end of the day, he still loved Jacob. He still loved his own kids, even if they were a disaster. We can understand that. And, and we can understand from Jacob's perspective that fear will make you do a lot of crazy things. But, but let's keep moving in the story because Jacob does. Jacob keeps moving. Jacob is starting to have a shift in his perspective, in what really matters in life. And so he ends up 
reconciling with Laban. He ends up making up the situation. And then we read this, still in Genesis 31, but we're going to move down to verse 53 now. And in Genesis 31, 53, Laban says, May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. And then for Jacob, it says, So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. And they had eaten. And after they had eaten, they spent the night there. Jacob is starting a shift. What was the name that his father Isaac feared? Yahweh. This is the God of the Bible. Jacob's attention has shifted off of himself and on to God. And so he offers a sacrifice there. And then he sits down and he has a meal with his relatives. Jacob has spent his time afraid and on the run. But you want to know what one of the best ways to reconcile a damaged relationship is? It's not that complicated. Free food. People eat that stuff up. Get it? See, see what it? It's okay. I, I didn't laugh at it either. But then from here, Laban leaves Jacob and has, and, and Jacob has something new in his path now. Esau, his brother. The last thing between Esau and Jacob was Esau swearing to kill Jacob as soon as their father died. As soon as that old man Isaac's out of the picture, I'm going to get my revenge on Jacob. That's what Esau swore to do. So Jacob, (laughs) knowing this, is preparing to meet his brother Esau. And he's got a plan. Well, he's got a lot of plans. He starts sending servants ahead to send messages to Esau. He starts sending gifts ahead to settle Esau down, to appease him, to make him happier. Because, you know, do things for people and they like you a little bit more and maybe he'll be less angry. Maybe he'll kill him less than he would have otherwise. <laughs> I don't know. And so he's sending these gifts uh, ahead to settle Esau down. He separates his family into different divisions to make sure that Esau can't kill them all. If he comes after one group, the other will run and, and at least some of them survive. Yeah. Lots of plans. But then we get down in the text and we see that Jacob has a plan to pray. He pleads with God, as as I probably would too. And so now we're back in Genesis chapter 32. And in Genesis 32, verses 9 through 11, it says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your own country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children." Do you see it? Did you see that word again? He was afraid. 
and to some degree he had plenty of reason to be afraid. He took advantage of someone who was bigger, meaner, and more dangerous than he was. And listen, if you threw me in the woods and told me to survive, well, I couldn't, but I at least know not to poke the bear, right? That's, that's like survival 101, you don't poke the bear. Jacob is afraid, and hear this, church. Fear can and wants to control your life. Fear will manipulate the way that you think and the way that you feel. All of the actions that we're seeing from Jacob right now are based in fear. They're based in fear. Fear drove Jacob to come up with a million plans of survival. And then, then, oh yeah, I forgot to pray. I should pray too. Because maybe this God of my father's is real and he can help me out now in my distress. Some of you are living in fear right now. And, and listen, it hits me too. I put a lot of effort into trying to follow Jesus the best that I know how. But I'm far from perfect. I'm far from perfect. We're living in a remarkably wild time right now. And a lot of people are living in fear. I'd be willing to bet that a lot of us are living in fear. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know how long this will last. We don't know what's in store with our jobs. That's a lot of reason to feel fear. But just look at the life of Jacob. Look at how often his fear led him down a path that ultimately just led to more fear. It was the fear of Esau that led him to eventually have a fear of Laban. Romans chapter 12 talks about the renewing of our minds. And this isn't an instantaneous thing. This takes time. And so I've had to start being incredibly diligent about renewing my mind to embrace the peace of the Spirit instead of all the things of this world. This looks like every single time fear hits me, I hit prayer. I just said, God, you are way bigger than me and way more capable of handling this than me. So please take my fear, take my problems, take my insecurities. I trust you to handle them better than I could. And then you know what happens? I get fearful again. So I pray again. It's a cycle. You have to keep working on it, keep doing it, keep pressing into it. You have to put in the reps before you can start to make a difference. It's just like going to the gym. You don't go once and, and have everything magically better, right? That's why, the gym, that's why the gym doesn't sell one-time passes. They sell memberships because you have to keep going. You have to put in the reps if you want to see a difference. So Jacob prays. And after he prays, he comes up with some more plans to appease Esau. And this is really important for us to notice because it's going to make our intro passage, where we started, make a lot more sense. So let's get back to where we started. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be in verse 22 again, but we're going to read all the way through verse 30 this time. So Genesis 22, or 32, 22 through 30. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched 
the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Okay, lots of stuff here. But the first thing that I want you to see is that Jacob wrestled with God. And and this wasn't new. Jacob had been wrestling with God. That's why he would pray for deliverance and then make plans to deliver himself. I'd be willing to bet that this one hits home. Have you ever prayed for God to take matters into his hands, but never actually let go of the issues that you want him to take hold of? Right? If you haven't, don't worry, because I've done it enough for both of us. It's so easy for me to tell God that I trust him. And many times I do trust him on an intellectual level, but on a physical level where I'm grasping at life, I don't. I just don't let go. Just the other morning, I I woke up grinding my teeth and realizing it's because I'm stressed. And I'm stressed because even though I'm praying, I'm still trying to take matters into my own hands. I'm sitting here wrestling with God. But then, I, I, I love this. They wrestled all night long until God reached out and poked him. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but that's, that's a little hilarious to me. He just reached out, pokes him. They wrestle all night, no outcome, and then God pokes Jacob's hip. And it's all out of whack. And, and I think this is one part God being God and another part hips being hip. You can't trust those things. But, but this is very important. You know what the significance of Jacob having an injured hip was? He couldn't run anymore. Jacob had spent his whole life living in fear and on the run. Now he's wrestled with God and running is off the table. God's put him in a position to say that you either trust God or you trust God because you're out of options. Sometimes we get hit with these sort of things in life and they knock us down and sometimes we respond with anger or more fear. Sometimes we're looking at our life trying to figure out how God could possibly be good if he's put us in the position that we're in. But maybe God is putting you in a position to actually finally trust him. Maybe God is making it so that you can't keep running in fear your whole life. And maybe if you've ever felt fear, then you know it's not something that you want to spend your whole life living in. But here's the good news in all of this. Someone else came to wrestle between God and man for us. That man was Jesus. Jesus was willing to be the one who would wrestle between both God and man on our behalf. Jesus was the one who was willing uh, to be injured on our behalf. Jesus was the one that finally, when we encounter him, we can say like Jacob that we have seen God face to face. Ah, gosh, Jacob was such a messed up guy. He made so many mistakes. There honestly isn't much good for us to look at in Jacob's life. Like, like Abraham made mistakes, but he also did some things right too. 
We can look at those good things in Abraham's life. Jacob isn't like that. And when God names him Israel, he names him Israel because he was an overcomer. This guy would be the father of a nation, of a nation that thousands of years later, you and I can open up a map and point it out. There it is. It's real. It's still got his name. This jacked up guy. And yeah, there's hope in that. But how much more hope is there if we can recognize that Jacob was an overcomer, but he comes nowhere near Jesus. Jesus overcame in a way that Jacob could never have fathomed. Jesus was willing to step out of heaven and wrestle with humanity. He was willing to get dirty. He was willing to get hurt. He was willing to take abuse, but he also overcame. Remember, we were talking about fear, about that fear that so many of us have right now. Man, what would so many of us be willing to give for some peace right now? And Jesus, we're going to fast forward to the New Testament. In the, book of, in the book of John, all the way at the other side of your Bible, basically. The book of John, chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus has been talking to his apostles. And he closes it out this way. John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has already overcome He is the true overcomer. He is a better Jacob. But don't miss what he said. Jesus didn't just say that he said these things that he did so that you could have peace. No, you're missing some of the words if that's how you read it. Jesus said that he told them what he told them so that they could have peace in him. True peace doesn't exist outside of Jesus. True peace cannot exist outside of Jesus. For many of us, we're finding ourselves more distracted than ever. We're finding ourselves more fearful than ever. It's hard to remember to keep pressing into Jesus right now. But we have to be intentional. It's the renewing of our minds and it's ultimately the only way that we can have true peace. And if you're wanting this peace but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to understand that's the first step. It's not some magical prayer that you pray, but actually stepping into relationship with Jesus. And that relationship is that he is the king of your life and you're willing to follow him forever. But when you make that decision, Jesus will radically transform your life. Things don't get perfect, but you are offered a real peace that you could never know otherwise. If that's you, I want to pray with you and I want to give you an opportunity to have this relationship with Jesus. So just pray with me in your own words, reaching out to Jesus. Jesus, I am sorry for the life that I've lived. I'm sorry that I have tried to do life on my own. I am sorry that I have sinned against you. And Jesus, I believe that you came and lived a perfect life, that you died on a cross, that you were buried, and that you rose again from that grave for me. And so Jesus, today, I make you king of my life. I make you Lord of my life. I will follow you with everything that I am for all of my days. Jesus, I am all in. I am all in. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, do us a favor and reach out to us. 
do us a favor and leave it in the comments wherever you're watching, or you can email us at portervillefirstbaptist at gmail.com. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to reach out with you because this is just the first step in your brand new life with Jesus, and we could not be more excited for you. And so uh, I just want to say thank you. I, I'm praying that this sermon would encourage and move you in your life and that you could face more peace than fear. Thank you, church. We love you.